Father in heaven, Lord, thank you today that we can worship together. And uh, it's not something that uh, we'll always be able to do. So we want to take advantage of it today. And we desire to have your spirit here with us. And we ask that you bless us as we study your word. In Christ's name, amen. So if you turn your foot away from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath the delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor him, not doing your own ways, nor speaking, or seeking, or finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then there are promises that follow. You shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In that text, as we studied this morning, there are prerequisites and promises. And the prerequisites are uh, something that was interesting this morning as we studied. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, the word, the word there for turn away literally is related to the word repent. And so if you repent and that's one of the focuses of the sabbath to come to a sabbath worship is to turn yourself away from the other things you normally think about and change your mind or let god change your mind deepening your repentance and repentance just literally means changing your mind so this is the ultimate uh day for your brain from doing your pleasure on my holy day. It's not that God is against pleasure. The word pleasure there is better translated your own business, looking for customers, doing business on my holy day. So um, he's basically saying something that's even more exciting than your business, more exciting than your clients or whatever you're trying to work on is actually, he's saying me, <laughs> I'm more exciting that then whatever your ambition is, whatever your whatever your uh, your business opportunity is, so don't be looking for customers, trying to find business on the Sabbath day. Focus on me. Call the Sabbath a delight, something exquisite, the Shabbat Hone. It's like a delightful meal. In fact, uh, the Jews when they eat, they call <clears throat> Sabbath lunch Hone. We're going to Hone together. But it's better than that. It's, it's feasting with God and feasting on God. Call the day honorable. Why is it honorable? Because he's our redeemer. And he brought us out of bondage. I'm very thankful that God has delivered you from something. And he's also your creator. He formed you with his own hand. And so this morning we studied that if we meet those prerequisites, <laughs> then come the promises. You shall delight yourself in the Lord. And as we studied this morning, if you call the Sabbath a delight, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. In other words, coming together on the Sabbath day actually strengthens your relationship with God. As you delight on this day, you delight in Him, and you have a closer relationship with God. How many of you want a closer relationship with God? That's what the Sabbath is all about. And then it says, I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. The high hills of the earth. I mentioned this morning that there were many high hills there in Colorado. But in Israel, there are also many high hills. If you travel from south to north or north to south, 
that's how you ride on the high hills. If you go from east to west or west to east, there's many different valleys. What he's saying is, if you want to get there quickly, if you want to have an unimpeded path, take the high hills of the earth. You're not having to go up and down. You're not having to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Instead, you're moving forward on the high plane. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to light ourselves in Hashem, in the Lord. He wants us to have smooth pathways. And this is what happened. Of course, leading to the ultimate high hill, which is Mount Zion, the temple, where all the mountains flow towards that. And then, the passage, the phrase that we'll spend more, on, more time on today, or this hour, I invite you to please listen to the first hour hour of this morning at 8 o'clock if you want more of what we just talked about. But then the final promise. And I will feed you with the heritage of your father Jacob. I'll feed you with the heritage of your father Jacob. Now we looked superficially this morning and said that that means that Jacob would receive the promises that even transcend that of Abraham and Isaac. Because Abraham, his promises, and Isaac... <laughs> When you read about them in Genesis chapter 13, that is Abraham, he would be blessed toward the sea, toward the Negev, and toward the north, and toward the Kadim or the east. In other words, his blessings would be within the land of Canaan. But Jacob, when you see his blessings in Genesis 28, it's without borders. There are no borders. It's without boundaries. It's outside even of the land of Canaan. And basically what the text is saying is, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, you're going to have the heritage of Jacob that transcends local jurisdictions. It's not about making America great again. It's about making the universe great again. Amen? I didn't offend anybody here. In fact, how many think we should have a t-shirt? Make the universe great again. And that's the whole idea of the Sabbath as we delight ourselves in Him. He wants to give us the heritage of Jacob. And it's a house. He wants everyone to come together in the house, which is a house for all people. All Jews, Gentiles, the commonwealth of Israel. Not just in this world, but in the kingdom of heaven. That's the heritage of Jacob. How many are interested in the heritage of Jacob. And that's what the Sabbath is supposed to help us with. But let's now dive back in. Heritage of Jacob. Because Jacob had a journey that he had to go on. And maybe some of us do as well. We need some work. Because you remember the story of Jacob. When he got his birthright the first time in the blessing. Was it all done correctly? Did, did he have... Good counselors. Remember what he did. Brother came home, was very, very tired and very hungry. And so he cooked up some lentil soup for him. And he said, I'll give you the stew, but let me tell you what you can do. Give me your birthright. And he saw haste. And haste sold his birthright. But Jacob was a little sneaky, wasn't he? He was a little deceptive. You can read about that in Genesis 25, 27 through 34. 
And then later on, when his father was dying, his mother came to him with a, another idea as he favored, favored Jacob. Disguise yourself. Go into your father and get the blessing. Not just the birthright, but now the blessing through deception. And so he dressed up like a hairy person, which he was not. And then when his father asked him, he says, you know, you, you, you feel like Esau, but you, you sound like, like Jacob. Are you Esau? And he said, I am. He lied. So through sneakiness and deception and lying, he got his birthright. He had pulled it off. As he headed back to his tent, it all went well until Esau told his mother, I'm going to kill him when dad gets old. And so he said, mother said, you better get out. He never saw his mother again. Never saw his mother again. And by the way, he went there and his father said, you should go too. And he went to Laban. Was that a great experience at Laban's? Is <laughs> a little deception that was played on him, the deceiver. Did he get deceived? Remember that wedding ceremony where he woke up and who was it that was in the tent? It was Leah. This literally means cow. <laughs> now, would you like to wake up with a cow? <laughs> and then finally had to work seven more years. Nothing against anyone named Leah. I'll be very thankful for cows. Back then, they talked with, you know, this parlance, you know. Like I said at your wedding, and your teeth are like a flock of goats, you know, from Song of Solomon, etc. But we don't understand it because we're not that agrarian. But he had pulled it off, he thought, but then he found out Esau was mad. He had to flee to Laban's. It was not a good experience. Finally, he escapes, and the Lord tells him to, to return home. And behold, I am with thee, Genesis 28, verse 15. I will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. And will bring you again unto this land. I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to the of. And so with that promise in mind, and with the reminder from God, he escaped from Laban and heads back home. Because as he's coming back home, let's pick up the story in Genesis chapter 31. And in Genesis chapter 31, as he's heading back home, Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away that all is our fathers. He saw the countenance of Laban. And of course, he gets out of there. And God says to him in verse 3, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field and to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance is not favorable to me. The God of my father, the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. God did not allow him to hurt me. He said thus, the speckled shall be your wages and the flocks or speckled flocks. And the streaks shall be your wages and the flocks or streaks. So then he heads away. He's going back home. But when he's heading back home, he decides to send words to Esau with gifts. I remember the story. Why does he send gifts to Esau? Because even though he had been somewhat successful and was holier than thou in the situation, I mean, he's better than Laban, right? We always have someone we're better than. How many of you know somebody you're better than? Don't raise your hand right now. It would be worse than not social distancing. <laughs> 
But how do you get in an environment where you think, you know, I'm better than most people here. But he remembers something comes to his mind. Wait a minute. I remember what I did to Esau. I better send some gifts to him. Sends a bunch of cattle, gets them all ready to go. Message comes back after his messengers meet Esau's messengers. And Esau is coming with 400 men. No women, no children, just men. What does that mean? Esau has also not forgotten what Jacob did. So both of their hippocampi are camping together. They're remembering not the good about each other, but the bad that came between each of them. Jacob's greatly afraid. He divides his flock and his people. He expects the worst from the seasoned Esau, who's a hunter and military man. Look at Hosea chapter 12. Verse 2 to 4. Hosea. Chapter 12. Verse 2 through 4. Mm. The Lord also brings a charge against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways, according to to his deeds. According to his deeds. And he will recompense him or bring it back upon him. Why? Because he took his brother by the heel in the womb. So not only did he deceive with the lentils or manipulate with the lentils and deceive even in the womb when he came out. <laughs> He had made some kind of move. But what happens? God is basically saying that Jacob would need to go through a time of trouble because his character was not where it should be. He was successful. He had many things going for him, and yet internally he knew there was something wrong. And certainly everyone else knew about it as well. And so he had to go through the time of Jacob's trouble. Now how does he go through it? Prophets and Kings tells us this. Solitary and unprotected, Jacob bowed in deep distress, distress upon the earth. It was midnight. All that made life dear to him was at a distance, exposed to danger and death. Remember the two groups. Bitterness of all was bitterness, bitterest of all was the thought that it was his own sin which had brought this peril upon the innocent. Years before they were even around, he had done these things. With earnest cries and tears, he makes his prayer before God. Suddenly a strong hand was laid upon him. He thought that an enemy was seeking his life, and he endeavored to wrest himself from the grasp of the assailant. In the darkness, the two struggled for the mastery. Not a word was spoken, but Jacob put forth all of his strength and did not relax his effort for a moment. While he was thus battling for his life, the sense of his guilt pressed upon his soul. His sins rose up before him to shut him out from God. But in his terrible extremity, he remembered God's promises, and his whole heart went out in entreaty for his mercy. You can read about it in Genesis 31, 9, the promises that he may have been claiming. 39, he said, 
Jacob said, O God of my father, Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord would said to me, Return to thy country, and I will deal well with thee. Am I not worthy of the least of the mercies and of all the truth that you showed to me? And so he gets into this and he says, Wait, I came back because of your promise. Because you said something, verse 12. You said, I will do thee good, and I'll make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which can't be numbered. Now Esau's coming. He's left alone, wrestling with a man until the breaking of the day. When he saw, verse 25, 31, 25, that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hallow of his thigh, and the hallow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let you go except thou bless me. He put it together. He finally realized the one he thought was an adversary was actually the angel of the Lord. And his whole demeanor changed. Instead of trying to get away, he wouldn't let the angel get away. I won't let you go, except thou bless me. The struggle continued all night. The patriarch now discerned the character of his antagonist. He knew he had been in conflict with the heavenly messenger and why this almost superhuman effort had not gained the victory. It was the angel of the covenant who had revealed himself to Jacob. The patriarch, now disabled, suffering the keenest pain, not loose in his hold, all penitent and broken, he clung to the angel. He wept and made supplication, like it says in Hosea chapter 12 and verse 4. And he began pleading for a blessing. He must have the assurance that his sin was pardoned. Physical pain was not sufficient to divert his mind from the object. His determination grew stronger, his faith more earnest and persevering. Until the very last, the angel tried to release himself, and he urged, Let me go, for the day breaketh. But Jacob said, I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. Now, had this been a boastful, presumptuous confidence, Jacob would have been instantly destroyed. But he was... But his was rather the assurance of one who confesses his own unworthiness yet trusts the faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God. He had power of the angel through humiliation, repentance, and self-surrender. This sinful, erring mortal prevailed with the majesty of heaven. He fastened his tender, trembling grasp on the promises of God and the heart of infinite love could not turn away from the sinner's plea. So what was the key? And this is the big key, I think, in the whole message, is that in this time, Jacob did exactly what we're supposed to do when we come on the Sabbath. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, if you repent, Repentance is the key thing that happened. The error that led to Jacob's sin in obtaining the birthright by fraud was now clearly set before him. He had not trusted in God's promises, but sought by his own efforts to bring about that which God would have accomplished in his own time and way. As an evidence that he had been forgiven, his name was changed to commemorate the victory. So now finally he had an inheritance. Have you ever met people to try and rush ahead of God's plan. Have you ever tried to rush ahead of God's plan? 
Have you ever tried to make your own birthright? To make things for yourself? Well, maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll compromise here or there. Maybe I'll listen to that suggestion of this person or that person. And what the story is teaching us is that you never get away with that. It's always going to come back to you. It's always going to come up again. Sometimes it's better to stay in a bad situation until God directly moves to the break your word with somebody or something. The heritage of Jacob was now actually realized. The other superficial heritage that we talked about in terms of land is small compared to this. J Jacob had received the blessing for which is so long. His sin as a surplanter and deceiver had been pardoned. The crisis in his life was past. Doubt, perplexity, remorse had embittered his existence. But now all was changed. And sweet was the peace of reconciliation with God. Jacob no longer feared to meet his brother. God had forgiven his sin and could move the heart of Esau also to accept his humiliation and repentance. That's the heritage of Jacob. Now, I've been impressed with this. You know, we're doing a series on Matthew 24, and this is part of that series where we looked at all the abominations that caused desolation, and then we looked at the Sabbath, and we started this series on the Sabbath. I've never seen the Sabbath as a day of repentance before, actually, this last week, as I studied each Hebrew word in the passage. And I never saw the connection between turning your foot away from the Sabbath and the heritage of Jacob. But what struck me about it was the times in which we live. The times in which we live is that everything you ever did basically can be uncovered. I was reading an article in the, about the surveillance systems of China and how they know everything about every person based on their electronic gadgets. And since everybody's so addicted to their electronic gadgets, I think I have three of them here today, since they're so addicted and almost everything is tied with them, they know everything. They know every text message you sent. They know every email you sent. They know every place you visited on the Internet. They know everything about where you are, what you've done, what you're doing. And if you stop doing it, they're suspicious. So you don't say, I'm going to get rid of my cell phone in China because they're going to show up. So don't think I'll just get rid of it at some time. No, 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 no. And the article I was reading said that the surveillance of China essentially is going to be the surveillance of the world. They might want me to tell you about it, but last week when, what's his name, Bezos and Zuckerberg were testifying before the Senate subcommittee or the Congress, I think it was, and they were saying, well, yeah, we do this and we do that. And basically saying, we do a lot of Chinese, ancient Chinese secret right here in modern times. We're surveilling lots of people. So here's the point. The story of Jacob is the story of someone who comes completely clean. And because he comes completely clean, God can act in his behalf. So let's fast forward. Jeremiah 30, 5 through 7. Let's look at this. 
Because the story of Jacob doesn't just end with Jacob. It actually is applied to the end time. For thus saith the Lord, Jeremiah 30, verse 5, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turn pale? Alas, that day is great, none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will break his yoke from your neck and burst his bonds, and foreigners shall no longer enslave them. At the end of time, it will be like God's people, or all people, have a knee on their neck. That sound familiar? It looks like they're not going to escape. And they're in a time of Jacob's trouble. And that trouble will happen at the end of times of God's people. So let's look a little closer at this. Let's look a little closer at this. Jacob's experience, prophets and kings, during the night of wrestling and anguish represents a trial through which the people of God must pass just before the second coming. Do you believe Jesus is coming soon? Amen. I mean, you believe there are signs all around that Jesus is coming soon. Amen. We've looked at those signs. The prophet Jeremiah in Holy Vision looked down at the time. He said, we've heard this voice of trembling and fear, not of peace, time of Jacob's trouble. When he shall cease his work as mediator in man's behalf, then this time of trouble will begin. When does that happen? Revelation 15, look at it. When is that? Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15. The temple, verse 8, was filled with smoke from the glory of the Lord and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven last plagues of the seven angels were completed. So the time of probation closes, then come the seven last time plagues. And just before that time, people are going to go, or during that time, they're going to go through the time of Jacob's trouble. Now it's interesting to me that in Revelation 15, these people are singing the song of Moses and the Lamb, an allusion to coming out of Egypt to keep the Sabbath. They're saying, great and marvelous are your works, verse 3 which is an allusion to Psalm 91, which is the Sabbath psalm. And then they're hearkening back to Isaiah 66, where it says, All nations shall come and worship before you. So the passage in Revelation chapter 15 has three direct allusions, which we covered in a previous message, that all are related to what day? The Sabbath day. And so this group of people that are able to go through time of Jacob's trouble are also keeping the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is keeping them. Because the Sabbath is a day of deepening repentance. Can you say hallelujah? Amen. And so they're able then to go through this time of trouble. You say, I'm, I don't like to hear this kind of stuff. It worries me. God will let you go to sleep. He says, if you can't handle it, you're going to sleep the sleep of death. Amen? Amen. I mean, probably right not now, right? I mean, not ready for that right now. But in Habakkuk, it says that. In Revelation 14, it says that. There are those Sabbath illusions. The Spirit of Prophecy says there's four phases to the uh, attack on the Sabbath. First of all, there's a decree to refrain from working on Sunday. 
then phase two, honoring Sunday, but you can still worship on the Sabbath. And then phase three, you cannot work on the Sabbath, but only Sunday. And then phase four, death penalty for those who worship on the Sabbath. Just like it says in Revelation 13. At this time of trouble coming, the case of every soul will have been decided. There will be no more atoning blood to cleanse for sin. When Jesus leaves his position as man's intercessor before God, the solemn announcement is made. He that is unjust, let him be what? Unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be what? Filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, are there going to be a holy, righteous people at the end of time? We actually have people in our church that preach that there's not going to be those people. They're actually publishing books. This is what we call the shaking. <laughs> then the restraining spirit of God is withdrawn from the earth. As Jacob, listen to this, here's the application now, was threatened with death by his angry brother, so the people of God will be in peril from the wicked who are seeking to destroy them. And as the patriarch wrestled all night for deliverance from the hand of Esau, so the righteous will cry to God day and night for deliverance from the enemies that surround them. Jacob's trouble, that story is not just a busy work story. It's a story that's to teach us how to prepare for this very time. Satan had accused Jacob before the angels, claiming the right to destroy him because of his sin. He had moved upon Esau to march against him. And during the patriarch's long night of wrestling, Satan endeavored to force upon him a sense of his guilt in order to discourage him, to break his hold on God. Look, Satan, the thief cometh not but to hurt kill and destroy. He wants to depress you. He wants to discourage you. He wants to bring up everything you ever did wrong before you. He actually is able enabled to do that. You're not going to get through it with some kind of secular CBT. You're going to need God's help. When in his distress... Jacob laid hold of the angel and made supplication with tears to the heavenly messer in order to try his faith. Listen to this. The heavenly messenger in order to try his faith also reminded him of his sin and endeavored to escape from him. But Jacob would not be turned away. He had learned that God is merciful and he cast himself on his mercy. He pointed back to his repentance for sin. He did what? Pointed back to what? Now, just, let's talk about this practically. This is the surveillance system out there today will uncover all your sins, most of them. You better have a document that shows that you actually confess those sins as well. How many want to go on record as repentant? Such will be the experience of God's people in their final struggle with the powers of evil. God will test their faith, their perseverance, their confidence in his power to deliver them. Satan will endeavor to terrify them with the thought, on their thoughts, that their cases are hopeless, that their sins have been too great to receive pardon. They will have a deep sense of their shortcomings. And as they review their lives, their hopes will sink. I'm glad it doesn't end there. Notice what it says next. But 
remembering the greatness of God's mercy and their own sincere repentance, they will plead his promises made through Christ to help us repenting sin. How many want to learn those promises now? Their faith will not fail because their prayers are not immediately answered. In other words, they're going to have a time of trial. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. Their faith in Jesus leads them to obedience, but they're going to have to go through a time of hupapaloni, patience, extreme pressure. Why is that? As an example of God's grace and power, right? Their faith will not fail because their prayers are not immediately answered. They will lay hold of the strength of God as Jacob laid hold of the angel and the language of their soul will be I will not let thee what go unless you bless me. I'm going to start learning how to pray that way now. I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't stop singing until I'm rejoicing. Now this is the most amazing passage. I mean, they're all amazing, but listen to this. Had Jacob not previously repented of his sin in obtaining the birthright by fraud, God could not have heard his prayer or mercifully preserved his life. How does the Bible put that? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. How does it say in Ezekiel 14? I read the book of Ezekiel a few times in the last few days. God answers your prayer according to the idol in your heart. Did you know that? You have an idol in your heart, God just, just answers it according to that. Remember Balaam? Thought he got his prayers answered. So how many think it's time to stop fooling around with God? If everything you ever did wrong is not confessed, to scroll on these screens. How many would like that? No one would like that. So why not confess that sin and ask for the gift of repentance right now? How many think that might be a good idea? Had Jacob not previously repented, God could not have heard his prayer and mercifully preserved his life. So, in the time of trouble, if the people of God had unconfessed sins to appear before them while tortured with fear and anguish, they would be overwhelmed. You're going to have fear and anguish, but if you have unconfessed sins, boom, you're done, you're toast. Despair would cut off their faith. They could not have confidence to plead with God for deliverance. But while they have a deep sense of their unworthiness, they have no concealed wrongs to reveal. Their sins have been blotted out by the atoning blood of Christ. And they cannot bring them to remembrance. How many say hallelujah for that? They can't even remember... And how does God do that brain surgery? If what happens? We confess our sins. He's faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the blotting out. And that's moving for the sanctuary. If we confess out our court, he's faithful and just to forgive covering in the holy place and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness most holy day. We're living in that time where the Spirit convicts of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's the early rain. It prepares us for the latter rain. Is the Spirit moving in your heart right now? Satan leads many to believe that God will overlook their unfaithfulness in the minor affairs of life. But the Lord shows in his dealing with Jacob that he can no wise sanction or tolerate evil. Are you mean to your brother? God's not overlooking that. Are you a little deceptive with your oatmeal? With your lentils? God's not overlooking that. All who endeavor to excuse or conceal their sins permit them to remain on the books of heaven, unconfessed and unforgiven, will be overcome by Satan. How many of you are not interested in being overcome by Satan? The more exalted their profession, the more honorable the position they hold, the more grievous is their course in the sight of God, and the more certain the triumph of the great adversary. Yet Jacob's history is an assurance, I love it, that God will not cast off those who have been betrayed into sin but have returned to him with true repentance. Can you say hallelujah? By self-surrender and confiding their faith, Jacob gained what he had failed to gain by conflict in his own strength. God had thus taught his servants that divine power and grace alone could give him the blessing he craved. You're saved by what? Divine power. And grace alone. Nothing you have concocted. None of your lentil stew, vegan as it may be. Deceptively delivered. It's not going to help you. Thus it will be with those who live in the last days. As danger surround them, as despair seizes the soul, they must depend solely upon the merits of the atonement. We can do nothing of ourselves in all our helpless unworthiness. We must trust in the merits of the crucified and risen Savior. The answer at the end is the cross. Someone talked to me the other day. He told me, I'm very angry. I have anger issues. So that's always a secondary emotion. There's always something under that. And the person had a cross tattooed on their, on, their, on their body. And I said, I can see that you really are into anger, but also the solution for anger. I said, what are you talking about? I said, that cross. That cross took all the wrath of God against every sin. It took every bit of anger. Look to the cross on your body. And let it remind you of the cross of Calvary that took every sin.
The long black catalog of our delinquencies is before the eye of the infinite. The register is complete. None of our offenses are forgotten. You think God has a bad memory? None are forgotten. <laughs> but he who listened to the cries of his servants of old will hear the prayer of faith and pardon our transgressions. He has promised. He will fulfill his word. Can you say hallelujah? But he can only fulfill his word if we confess our sins. Jacob prevailed because he was persevering. He was determined. His experience testifies to the power of importunate prayer. What does that word mean? Importunate. Annoying. Persistent. Like the woman who prayed that someone would give her bread. And bothered him all night. Finally gave her bread. What is that? Well, not the Holy Why God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. It is now that we need to learn this lesson of prevailing prayer of unyielding faith. The greatest victories to the church of Christ or to individual Christians are not those that are gained. Listen to this. Listen to this. <clears throat> they are not those that are gained by talent. I was a very talented person. No. <clears throat> by education. Oh, he's got a PhD, an OOP, QRS, TOV. No. By wealth. Or by the favor of men. Listen to that again. The greatest victories to the Church of Christ or to individual Christians are not those that are gained by talent, education, by wealth, by the favor of men. There are those victories that are gained in the audience chamber with God with earnest, agonizing faith, laying hold of the mighty arm. That's that right arm. Of power. Those who are unwilling to forsake every sin, seek earnestly for God's blessing, will not obtain it. But all who will lay hold of God's promises, as did Jacob, and be as earnest and persevering as he was, will succeed as he succeeded. I like the text in 1 Timothy 5 24. What's it say? Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow after. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow after. Which group do you want to be? First group or the second group? Some men's sins are what? Clearly evident. Preceding them to judgment. I don't know, folks. I was just thinking to myself. I think we come to the time when you can't really say, I'm just going to cover up my sins anymore. They're going to come out. Have you ever heard of the, the idea of getting ahead of the story? Getting out in front of the bad news? What does that mean? Telling the truth about what you did wrong before it comes out. How many think that might be a good policy right now in Earth's history? How many think that might be a good policy? Because it will come out 
There's nothing that won't come out. Revelation 7, 14, And I said to him, Sir, thou knowest, and he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. That's the time of Jacob's trouble. And have washed their robes, made them white, Revelation 7, 14, in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. This is Revelation 7, 14. It's the same passage where it says the four winds of strife are being released and God's people are being sealed. And that's a picture of the seal. How many of you are part of the seal? How many of you believe that God's four winds are being released? How many of you believe that God's four winds are being released? I mean, it's very sad that somebody might have to wake up the person next to you to ask them that question. I think probably now is the time to be awake. Let me think of times to be awake. I can't think of a time in my lifetime when more of the things that are covered in Matthew 24 are being touched on in real time. I can't think of a time. Ethnos against ethnos. Lawlessness abounding. False Christ or false prophets. The love of many growing cold. The abomination that causes desolation, church and state coming together. Attacks on the Bible, burning Bibles and going against Christ and Christianity. Have you seen all this? How many of you think that you need more evidence to get serious? We're about to come to that time period. Revelation 15, where there's a group of people that are <laughs> having victory over the beast that is him. All by the faith of Jesus. All by looking solely to him. So my appeal is simple. And that is to search your own heart. And to take the steps necessary to have a clean record before God and man. Conscience void of offense between man, between God and man. How many think this is the time to do that? And then there's this song we sang at R&R &R a couple years ago that we wrote that I want to keep with you. I gave you a song for this morning's message. You turn away your foot from the Sabbath. But as I was thinking how to close out this message today, I think of another song. It is based on Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11 and 12. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. By the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives to the dead. How do we overcome in the time? How do we, like Jacob, overcome? Jacob recognized that it was the lamb he was wrestling with, and instead he held on to him. And that's our only hope, because we don't have a testimony of our own. We need help.
We can't fix it up. We can't add some Tabasco sauce to our lentil stew. We can't do it. It's not going to work. We need Christ in our lives. I don't know if my wife is here if she wants to sing with me. If she doesn't, you want to sing with me? Come on up. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.